welcome everybody to the next episode of the Samwise Yaboinski podcast. I'm very good, Chris. How are you? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. I'm very, very, very excited for our episode today because I've gotten to talk a whole lot of different times in a whole lot of different places about how awesome our staff team is. And it's true every time. And especially, it's been really fun to be working with all of you and, and, and to have all most of the staff on the pod already and hear a little bit of their backstory. And today we have Lillian Anderson, our wonderful adult programs director. Welcome, Lillian. It's so good to be with you. And I'm so excited that you gave me three varies. I mean, this is like a <laughs> That's big a lot. plus. So, you know, uh-huh. I'm really eager. Yeah. Awesome. And for most of you know uh, who are listening, but if you don't, um, Lillian, I think you're the ranking staff, longtime staff member. Yeah, right? I guess or so. I think that Ian and I came in, but he was the assistant at that point. Right. Yeah. So Lillian's been nine here years in a mm-hmm. really long time, which is mm-hmm. great, um, and has really built a truly wonderful program and has joined, obviously, I mean, lots of people have been working with her, but it's been a real joy to get to collaborate with you in so many different ways, both in specific classes, but then in envisioning and especially in these last two years, really facing facing this very strange time and pivoting so gracefully and so enthusiastically to really utterly change the face of how we do adult programs and and bring hundreds and hundreds of people have participated in these online programs in the last couple of years, which is really wild how how you met this moment and how really the whole adult programs team met this moment. And anyway, so I'm really grateful for that. But even more so excited to hear uh, some more details about your backstory, because the listeners might not know one of my favorite facts about you, in addition to getting to work with you is that you were a labor and delivery nurse for how long? Oh, yes, 25 years at Emerson Hospital. Which I love. And so we'll dig into that. And then before that, we share a passion and a love for the theater. And you were in theater for how long before that? Oh, forever. I mean, you know, this this is when you've lived a long life. Um, It goes back to second grade. So, you know. (laughs) All right. So, yeah, tell a little bit of that story. And then where were you in second grade? Oh, I was in the Bronx. That's that's where I grew up. And, you know, it's that's an interesting thing because being in New England, you never really lose your sense of New York City. I mean, having been brought up in the Bronx. So, yeah, um, I, it, it's uh, it's been an interesting challenge to um, uh, I think what I would say tone down the Bronx part of me. Uh-huh. That's always there. It's always there. And um 
Yeah, it, it's uh, it's been very important to me. Theater has been because I think what it does is it allows you to be different people. Mm-hmm. And there's so many fascinating people in the world. So that if you're in a theatrical production, you are given the opportunity to change, to be someone else and to go down deep into who they are. Um, so you can play villains and, and heroines and you can sing songs and you can do so many different parts of yourself um, and expand on that. So that's what theater gave me. And so what I did was I, I um, I've always been interested in two things. I've been interested in theater and I've been interested in medicine. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, even from the time that I was in high school, but but I had um, an experience in high school. I had an English teacher who was had just left psychiatric nursing um, and to become an English teacher. And so uh, she saw that I was very active in, in theater and um, uh, she thought, well, this is a natural place for you to be. And I but but in my free time, what I would take out, the kind of books that I would read would be medical books. Wow. You know, about it was just a um interest of mine from the beginning. And so I had to make a choice about which direction to go. Should I go into theater? Yeah. Or should I should I get a degree in theater, or should I go into nursing? And she said, you know, you really don't want to go into nursing. I think she was reflecting on how her own experiences, but she said right. you're way too emotional to be. Uh. <laughs> so I took her advice. Um, and, you know, she was very important in my life. And I decided at that point that I would go down the path of theater. So, so I went to the university of Miami and, and um, majored in theater. And um, I've never regretted that because I think what that gave me was an expansion of the universe into uh, into areas of the depth of of literature and mm-hmm. um and theatrical literature and the whole history of theater and so i have i've loved that ever since um but i always knew that the other side of me the side of the medical profession had to come out at some point and so it was just a matter of time that's interesting um, so what kind of what kind of work were you doing in the theater? What was uh, what were you? Well, when I was when I, um, at the University of Miami, I had a work scholarship, so I was um, I was in the um, costume department, and there again I was mentored by a wonderful professor, um, Roberta Baker, who uh, took me under her wing, and you know my mother had always <laughs> sewn my clothes, but really before I got into um the costume room I never really knew anything about sewing but it was really about working together um to create these costumes and and her big motto was nothing succeeds like excess and she, <laughs> I, like that. I believe that was true for costumes certainly but it, I yeah. took that to mean you know that's not a bad motto for the rest of your life why not do things really big instead of small so that certainly um, has carried on in your adult programs yeah work. i think it has i think it has it's it's um you know i i guess i really um i'm not a timid person i take risk and i think in order to go big that's what you have to do in in order to um you have to be willing to fail and you have to take you have to take risks so um 
But anyway, so that I, you know, I went through college that way and I earned money and, you know, supported, helped to support myself. But um, when my undergraduate degree was over, I looked around and I said, well, what, what should I do? So, well, um, I had a choice. I could have gone, I could go on to graduate school um, and thought I would, but I didn't do well on the GRE. So I so happened to pass a notice about that the, the arena stage in Washington, D.C. was looking, the Ford Foundation had supported them in looking for interns. And so you had to apply and it was a big deal. I mean, they flew you to Washington, D.C. for an audition because it wasn't just about um, a technical work. It was you had to be both in their uh, children's theater company and act. And then you also had to support their main stage shows by being a technical person in one way or another. Well, clearly I could be in the costume room um, and I could perform. And so, yeah, that was a big deal, auditioning and singing. And it was, it was uh, their children's theater was just beginning and it was very exciting. So we were doing the wind in the, um, the wind in, in the willows and mm. I played chief weasel. Yeah, it was, and, and it was a great company. And yeah. um, so it was, it was a lot of fun and I met my future husband. So, you know, he was one of the interns as well. Um, but what we decided was very interesting because being in professional theater uh, was, it was a good reality check because you could look around and see the lives of those professional actors and think, do I want to do that? Do I really want to spend my time all the time doing nothing but theater? Because you had one day off a week and that was Monday. You got to do your laundry. Maybe right. you went to the movies. You couldn't go to see other theaters because they were right. all closed on Monday. So, you know, there was nothing you could do. And, and I think we both felt um, that theater might not be the best place to live your life and grow a family. So we, we didn't stay on um, as interns. We got married. Um, and um, then we, we decided that we would move. Um, my ex-husband decided to go to Columbia um, mm -hmm. for architecture. And so we moved to New York City. Wow. And that's what we did for those four years. Did you move back to the Bronx or did you? Were um, you no, actually we were in Manhattan. Okay. And, um, but then I also went back to school. I, I, I decided to go to Hunter College to get an advanced degree in speech and theater, which I did. And then after two years of that, I got a job. Um, I got a job on Long Island for one year to teach, actually teach um, speech and theater. Up until that time, I had been uh, um, employed in the New York City public school systems teaching things like English as a second language, which I knew nothing about. Um, but I, on that last year that we were there, I got to teach actually in a field that I knew something about. And so that was, that was very interesting um, in a community college on Long Island. But it also, it taught me. I looked around and I saw the other teachers that were there and I said, boy, I certainly do not fit in here. I am never going to be a good <laughs> teacher. When I looked at what, what the what the other people who were really good teachers who they were mm. i 
you know, they seem to know all the answers and I didn't barely knew the questions to ask. So I, I had that moment of awakening that, you know, you do, you think this is not the career for me. And so that was very helpful. And so we moved at that point to, um, uh, to Concord and um, where I've been ever since. I mean, I've been here in Concord for um, since 1972. Mm. Wow. Before we get into the the labor and delivery nursing, I think the other fascinating thing to me about the theater and working with you now is you have just this natural collaborative, you know, uh, bent where almost all the time, you know, certainly on the staff team, but also with your committee and and all the different projects we've worked on, you and which really feels a lot like creating a play. You know, because unless it's a very few times, if it's just a one person thing, but really most, and even one person thing, there's a whole crew making it happen, right? So um, it feels like so much of the way that you work now is informed by by that kind of creative process that you were steeped in for so long. Yeah, that is absolutely true. I mean, you and I both understand the value of theater, um, that you come together for a purpose that's bigger than yourself, you play a part in that and you make it work. And, and then, but the interesting thing about it is, which has also always been true in my life, you get to one place, you do a show and it's over. Mm. It's very short lived mm. unless you're on, you know, a long run on Broadway, but you do something and it's finished. And I love that about it. I love that you can then go on to another show. That's yeah. that's what you can do. You're not you're not in the same place. And I think I carried that over. I mean, when I think about how the things in my life that I've always done that that seems to seem to be how I operate. It's it's short, it's projects that have a beginning, a middle and an end and then they're over. There's a burst in the middle. And you get very energized by being with people and being together and creating something. Um, and that is the same thing is true um, in labor and delivery. Yeah. I mean, you, you absolutely have, you know, you're, you're welcoming someone in, they're in crisis, but you're helping them. And then, then the baby gets born. That's the moment, <laughs> you know, the, the birth happens. And then, then it's over, and and you're you complete that task, you complete that experience, and and then you move on to another birth. And so, yeah. So, so say a little bit about how did you how did you decide how did labor and delivery kind of happen, and then yeah, well, that's an interesting story because I you know I knew I wanted to go into medicine. Um, but I had two children and, and I wasn't going to go back to school until they were um, in school themselves. So I looked around and I said, okay, what can I do? What am I interested in? And that's when I started doing all, oh, reading everything I could possibly read about birth and about maternity and about um, women's issues. And so I got involved as an activist in um, the movement to support midwifery 
So there was an organization called Massachusetts Friends of Midwives. And I got involved with them as a volunteer. And um, it was very, very satisfying. At that point, this is now, I'm talking about um, early 70s. So this is the women's movement in its full force. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, women's, women's health was really in the forefront. And um, this organization was very important in helping um, the cause of midwifery to come to the fore. I mean, if you start thinking about all the obstacles that were put in the, in, in, in the path of, of people who wanted um, midwives next to them and, and being with them for birth um, and having to overcome all of that in the early seventies. So it was, uh, it was hard work and exciting. um, And um, that's what, and also, of course, it was about, um, not only midwifery, but it was about home birth. Because, yeah. of course, that whole aspect of um, of the culture and the life in Massachusetts was there There were many, many obstacles put in that path. So we worked hard um, to try to get the legislature to, to uh, pass various bills about supporting midwifery, um, licensing midwives. You know, it was just interesting. But that led me to the place where I could then go to school to become um, a nurse. And I wanted the easiest path I could take. I mean, I, I was, listen, I'd already had an advanced degree and I wasn't going to spend a lot more time learning. And so I went to a community college. I went to Middlesex Community College. Oh, my dad taught there for a little while. Biology. Really? Yeah, what yeah, did yeah. you teach? Biology. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. You actually might have overlapped even weirdly. Anyway. Um, <laughs> okay, and then how many births? Oh gosh, yeah. how um, many children did you birth into the world? Twenty-five years, and I. By the way, I didn't mention this before, but I worked uh-huh. the night shift. Okay, so night shift, huh? that, and I chose that. You still work the night shift? I do. I absolutely. <laughs> anybody who knows me knows the that graveyard shift well. at first Let church. Me tell you, twelve o'clock in the you know <laughs> noon is about the beginning of my day, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, but it's oh, that was an extension of theater. I mean, you know, think about it. if you're in theater, you're not going to sleep at 11 o'clock at night. You're right, going to right, sleep right. at one or two mm-hmm. because you have to unwind from whatever it is that you're doing. So I chose to work the night shift, which I, it was wonderful. I loved, I loved being awake at night. I loved, mm. it was hard. I mean, you know, you, it, you're, it takes its toll on your body, but um, it's, it's, there's a different piece that happens at night. Although I will say that for labor and delivery, it was never really totally peaceful because you never knew who was going to walk through the door. And, right. And the know, babies, babies are coming when the babies are coming. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, we had lots of activity. If, even if we didn't have, all, you know, it's, it's, um, it's not true that all the babies get born at night. There's an activity that happens, you know, membranes rupture, et cetera. People go into labor, but that doesn't mean that they're going to give birth on the night shift. Um, but mm-hmm. I would say over the over time, you know, maybe I don't know, close to a thousand, I witnessed. Wow, what? that's awesome. Oh yeah, and you know, the truth is, I mean, as a nurse, you're supporting someone. You're not. There've been births that I've had to deal with. Of course, every nurse has been in that situation where you've had. Uh, 
either the doctor isn't there quick enough or the, you know, the baby comes unexpectedly, but, you know, there are things that you learn about um, having, Mm. being with a woman and catching the baby. Mm. Well, and Mm. obviously with all due respect to whatever privacy issues, but are there a couple of the births that kind of stick out in your memory? Memorable births. <laughs> well, there was one. Actually, it was on Labor Day. It was on Labor Day, <laughs> and someone was coming in, and they did not make it into the hospital. We had the birth outside. Oh, wow. In the car, in the parking lot. Wow. Yes, on Labor Day. And, and on Labor it Day. was good. There were enough. We were, there were, I think, two or three of us there, nurses, because, of course, we couldn't get the doctor there because... Wow. Doctor, I you know even if they were coming down the hall, they wouldn't have made it. We barely, wow. barely got to the car, and that was very exciting. Um, wow. So wait, you're you're in the hospital. You get the call that somebody's on the way, and somebody's in the car, exactly. and you just ran and out so to the car. So we ran out to the parking lot. You know, and how far we, along were they course, when you got there? Oh, pretty far. Pretty far. The <laughs> head was pretty much there. So. I mean, what are you going to do? You you put out your hands and you get what you need. And and fortunately, we had you know we had a table full of instruments that we needed, but wow. we didn't use them. We just barely yeah. got the baby out wow. and went inside and did the rest. And of course, the doctor you know was there by then. But wow. you, know, you sometimes you only have seconds. So what are you going to yeah. do? Yeah. Do you remember what kind of car it was? It was a big car. Fortunately, yeah. It was like what kind of it car? Was, what? I know. It's like <laughs> That's funny. You know, the silliest question. question. Not, I'm just like fleshing out the picture in my mind. Yeah, I just want to be able to see this scenario. That's awesome. Yeah, like a Volkswagen bug somehow is oh, a different no, 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 thing no, no. than a big old station car. wagon. It was a big car. So yeah. this, 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 this child is now probably in the, what, a, a, an undergraduate or in the... Yeah. Or I guess. Wow. Yeah. I can't remember exactly when that was, you know. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if that so family we, tells that story. I bet they do. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it's, well, it's, it's obviously was memorable for all of us, but in mm. a different way, um, women who are giving birth, obviously it's their baby and, and mm. their, um, it's profound for them. It's, 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 you know, for someone who's supporting them, it's, it's, it's our profession to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you as a minister, Chris, you, that's your profession. So you learn how to do it. And, um, but you also, it's only one part of that job for you, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not the totality that it is for the woman who is giving right. birth. Right, right. The woman who is coming to you or the man who is coming to you for counseling, that that the impact that we have indiv- as individuals on each other is one of those things that I mm. I don't think I don't know how you can assess that. But I wonder too, like did what was it must have been an important thing for you each time. I mean, still a thousand babies, but even the thousandth, was this a moving experience for you, instead of helping a new being into the world or Oh, well, yes, of course, but, but, and it's a big, but, um, Mm. I, I will say this as a cautionary tale that, um, it's not always optimum. It's not always the optimal experience that it could be Mm. because, um, the hospital isn't the greatest place to have babies Mm. for spiritual 
connection. Mm-hmm. It just isn't. Mm-hmm. There are, I mean, I'm sure things have changed since I was there, but you know, you you in order to give it that moment, uh, um, it's due, and not medicalize it. Mm. Takes a lot of um, energy and thought and planning and um, authority, ability to control that we don't have. I mean, the medical profession takes over. It, it's it's um, the hospital has a routine. You have you have procedures and protocols, and they get in the way a lot of mm. of, of what that moment could be which is why you know um i mean the balancing act between where is the right place for a baby to be born is mm. is a is a big question um and who controls it and and how much control do they have over that process so um it wasn't always a, a satisfying experience because of that because of that you had to confront that um and your role as a nurse, you didn't have the authority. You didn't have the control. Yeah. So. And so then when when did you know that you were done? Oh, this was a gradual process. I mean, you know, over time, uh, I think I learned just like I did with teaching. And you look at your colleagues and you say, wow they really are great nurses. Mm. I'm not a great nurse. This is not, you know, and this is where theater comes in. You can pretend. (laughs) I can pretend to be a good nurse. I can take that role and make it into something, but it isn't truly real. Mm. And you look at people who are real at what they do and have authenticity. Yeah. And then you say, is that me? Well, Mm. That's what I did. I looked around and I said, uh-oh, I'm pretending here. Hmm. You know, I mean, I know what I'm doing, but I'm really not grounded in hmm. that sense of this is my, this is where I should be. So that's why I am so blessed to be where I am right now, because this is where I should be doing the yeah. work I'm doing at First Church for the first time in my life. That's interesting. It yeah. has all yeah. come together because all of those things that I learned, by the way, in theater, teaching, as a nurse, and also I did some work with travel and doing tour companies and that kind of thing, has all brought me to this place, which yeah. my understanding right now is that all those skills that I learned along the way, I can now put in to one yeah. and work with people to help them find their place and what they do best so that we can create these programs for this congregation that have um, a sparkle and a life. Mm. But it's because of the people. It's because of the gifts of the members of the congregation that this is happening. It's not me. I'm, I'm working with people who will create this, this thing or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the programs have been exciting, but it's been mostly because I have to say that 
the congregation is so amazing in its um, depth, breadth, interest, curiosity, whatever it takes to build programs is here and their willingness to do it. Mm. Mm. So, yeah. And I think, you know, we're also as a team, uh, the staff team, and I will say that a lot of that has to do with your skill, Chris, in finding each of our strengths and allowing each of us to be able to flourish, to be Mm. able to expand into that in a way that we've not had before and and also to collaborate with each other so that we are actually the the um it's it's pulling in the same direction right and so we are able to do that and um it's been it's been a real gift to work at first church for me uh yeah. because of all of those things yeah i i i agree i've i've um i've been really amazed i i keep thinking of a couple images like you know there's these classic heist movies where you sort of go in with like italian job is kind of like that and you know you sort of they're putting the team together and they're like oh we need an explosives guy and oh we need a safe cracker and you know and you kind of go into everybody's little backstory and i feel like we sort of are like that where it's like, oh, who knew that we needed, uh, you know, a religious yeah. educator that was also a digital filmmaker that was also a storyteller that was also a, you know, and then, oh, poof, here we are. We have Nate Sellers. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's um, a really. Oh, and look, just look at Sam. I mean, for right. example, just that's amazing. Yeah. You know, what he brings to, to, to the forefront is in, in terms of understanding the academic perspective of things <laughs> and, um, you know, how, I mean, we all have different skills. Some of us are surface people and, and have a long view and others are deep people. And Sam right. is one of those people you're, you know, you're always looking at a different angle and, yeah. and well, um, leading those, leading those uh, zoom workshops on, um, on intro to UU history and theology uh, that we did that we did some months back. That was that was like a real extension of my. I didn't think I'd, I I didn't think that this was my wheelhouse. And it's like okay, here I am. I'm I'm I'm, I'm leading a workshop with Lillian and Cora on uh, on like uh, moments in the history of UU. This is this is some new skills for me, but it was it was great fun, and I'm really proud of myself that I did that and that we did that together. And yeah, so it's been it's kind of been kind of been uh, exploration for all of us. Yes, it has. But but I mean, I, you're right. You may not know anything about that particular subject, but you know how nope. to get into it. You know how you know how to find yeah, out. Yeah, that's what, what I mean exactly. To know, so yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's been well in the history group. Look at just look at the history group that's that's just started, and that we're both yeah. We have a great history group now, and yeah. that that's really essential when you think about. Um, any congregation, they need to know where they've been, um, where they come from, and where they're, that helps them, informs them on as to where they're going. And so. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I should plug that. So anyone listening to this, we have an awesome First Church history group uh, that at the time of recording this is, I think, about a year old. And, um, and uh, our First Church historian, John Howe, is uh, going through all of our church archives and scanning them and, and uh, making them available uh, for 
these awesome presentations he's giving to to the group at our monthly meetings and anyone is welcome to join them and it's it's been absolutely fascinating to learn more about the role of women in the earlier history of first church the history of our ministers um it's it's uh yeah this is uh, I'm, I'm really excited to be part of that yes so um one of the other pieces that we've had in all of these podcasts is a time for you to ask us questions. And um, for those of you uh, who don't come to our staff meetings, um, which is most of you, uh, Lillian often um, is quick with some questions and follow-up. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess, I guess, Chris, I'd ask you, what do you think um, your theatrical background mm. has given you in terms of uh, of being a minister. Yeah, that's a good one. So I, you know, I went to the Fenn school, which is right up the street from where Lillian lives in Concord. And the very first play I ever sort of really held, um, was we did Fiddler on the Roof and I was Tevia. And it was the first time I had a beard. They put on (laughs) a little prosthetic beard. I must've been in ninth grade. I was like a little, uh, 14 year old with the beard. And I look basically exactly like I do now. Cause I had, <laughs> it was like a little gray, like my beard is now anyway. But so I think that, that experience of helping to, you know, shape and hold the transformational experience for people, but also, you know, leading, like we were saying before, you know, being a part of a collaborative whole, you know, and, and, and having that, I think of, so many plays where backstage we would circle up with people and we would all hold hands and close our eyes and do mm. the little counting game thing where you kind of count up to like however uh-huh. many people there are with your eyes closed. And you're just sort of, you get into this place of synergy with a team of people that you're working on a play with. And I think that's been a big piece of what I've, you know, sought to create in all of the different teams and all of the different contexts in which I've, um served is to kind of cultivate that sort of that sort of team um but but certainly also um storytelling and preaching you know that's been it's just such a huge part of of what i do um and that is just from that moment in that play on you know it was many many years of plays and musicals and all sorts of stuff all through high school and and into college um and then pretty much when I started working in churches and and going to seminary, um, I've done a couple of plays since then, but really mostly worship has has been my focus. So so yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So and and of course, Chris and I have talked about this because I played Yenta in the production of Fiddler <laughs> on the Roof that the Concord players did. So we have a common history. And I will say mm-hmm. that I have learned much of what I know. Uh, about history is from the theatrical production. So it can be um, less than accurate, actually. (laughs) 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 Oh, but, you know, I just wonder what's the hardest part of ministry for you? Oh, Lillian, bring in the heat. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you know, so I think ministry writ large, I think there's two questions in that. There's like pandemic ministry and there's ministry, right? So like ministry in general, um, I think one of the hardest parts of ministry 
for, for me personally is, um, is knowing that what I'm bringing is enough, you know, mm-hmm. because there's always more that I could be doing, you know, there's like, I could always put another hour into the sermon. I could always make more phone calls. I could always write more thank you notes. You know, there's literally, I used to build houses professionally and we could build a house perfect and we would be done. You know, like we'd be like, that wall is exactly 90 degrees. Every steam is perfect. The paint is perfect. The carpet's perfect. And now we're done. And it was deeply satisfying. Because you could really finish stuff and you could really walk away and you'd be like, that's great. You know, I think I love ministry and I love building churches and I love worship and I love all the different parts of my job. And literally every single thing I do, I could do better, you know? So, so there's a discipline in both knowing my limits, but also internally trusting that what I am and what I bring and what I do is enough. Mm-hmm. And that's only been exacerbated by the pandemic because, mm-hmm. you know, the crisis has just been so deep and the need has just been so wide and everybody's so many people are just moving through such a hard time that it's only exacerbates the fact that there's always more, right? Like there's always more like Ukraine, right now there's always more that i could do that we could do so having the structures you know that we work really hard on as a team of being really strategic and intentional about projects that we're focusing on at a given time and then completing things and putting them down and you know i work really hard to cultivate a schedule where i have some time off and time down and time lucky I have my three little kids right now who really you know all want you know me around all want time with me so that's a helpful draw away from work too but but yeah I think that's been that's been the hardest yeah yeah a lot of the tasks I love you know like I love writing I love worship Mm -hmm. I love working with people I love meeting with people I love getting to know new people like so much of it is really a joy the vast majority of it is of it is a joy and that almost makes it harder. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it is really important. I think for all of us to take, to find something that brings us away from our job to some other place where we can recharge our batteries. And so you can go fishing and finally get to the fishing. I love love snorkeling. I used to be a diver and you know, those are things that you were a diver. I didn't know this. Oh yeah, wow. I was a scuba diver. Yeah, That's that was cool. a big, big part of my life for mm. uh, many years. Where years? Oh, in the Caribbean. I am, you know, oh, a warm wow. water diver. I'm. I never would go in the water. In 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 New England, but um, yeah. that's that's a world, uh, you know, that is apart, and that's that that is so incredibly beautiful, and that I didn't have any idea existed until I put a mask and snorkel on and looked down and was in the water where I could do that. And uh, yeah, it opened up great, great um, experiences for me. Uh, And I'm sad that I can't do diving anymore, but I still love snorkeling. It's just, you know, you get to the end of your life and you're saying, 
you know, <laughs> this is, there's a 40 pound tank on my back and I'm not wow. sure that my back can manage that anymore. So that's a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I know that Mark Rosenstein is going off to, uh, to experience that. And I can do that vicariously by looking yeah. at his pictures. And I've never, going. I've never, what, what is, how do you say this? I've never dove. No, I've never scuba dived. Dive. I've never done it. I'm jealous. Scuba I really diving. want to try it. Yeah. Scuba diving. I want to do it. I want to go to the Caribbean and do it. Yeah, well, you man. can do it. You're yeah. young, you're healthy. You can do it. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not scared of sharks, but you know. The other day, yeah. recently I was watching a YouTube video of a shark that washed up on the shore of Cape Cod. And uh, this this generous guy is like pouring water on it to make sure it's okay. And it's like lashing around on the sand and they they tie a string around its tail and pull it back into the sea. And I'm like, oh, on the one hand, I'm like, oh, that cute shark. They rescued it. On the other hand, I'm like, I'm never going in that water. <laughs> no way. I saw that guy's teeth. <laughs> well, you know, they're, they're, it's their environment and they yeah. don't want to have any part of you. If you leave them alone, really, they will leave mm, you alone. I don't know. He looks hungry. Okay. Uh, well, I think he has better things, better fish to eat Fine. than you. Um, you know, so yeah, it's great. So that's awesome. Um, well, that's great, and uh, I can't say enough. Thank you for everything you've done, especially in these last two years. Um, when I, I, over and over again, as people are coming back into physical proximity, so many people are, you know, so grateful for everything we did. And it's really only, I mean, like we were saying all along in this chat, it's, it's the whole team and everything mm. we've done together, but a huge part of it was so many programs and it really is hundreds and hundreds of people that have participated in some way or another over the course of these last two years. Which is really is really striking how many yeah. folks um, that and you they need, just your team. keep coming. They just keep coming because yeah. people are eager for connection and they're also right. eager to help put these programs together because they have ideas. And right. without those ideas, we we can't come up with it, the program ideas ourselves. So whatever yeah. ideas are out there please just contact us and let us know and we'll put together a program. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And as always, thank you, Sam. And thank you everybody for, for listening. We'll have more of season two coming your way. Uh, and do please check out, hopefully you saw the wonderful picture uh, of Lillian from back in the day. We have these great new little tradition of having some old pictures of everybody along with the <laughs> podcast announcements. So, uh, and as always, reach out if there's any way that any of us can be of support. And if you have any questions you'd like us to talk about, you can email minister at uubelmont.org. And yeah, thanks for listening and we'll see you real soon. This was really fun. Thanks, Lillian. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. It was a great pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>